Welcome to season five of the Another Startup Story podcast. My name is Carmen, your host, and together we'll explore and enjoy conversations around entrepreneurship, creativity, and leadership. In our careers, businesses, passions, and especially our visions, you're invited to learn a lesson with us. In this episode, I speak to Shaq and Niaz from Millennial Money. Most millennials find managing money quite difficult. Millennial Money creates and creates content relating to personal finance targeted at young people. Financial empowerment often comes from better understanding and education, but not enough of us actually seek help in financial planning, despite the advantages it can give. We've all grown up with the notion that money makes the world go round, yet so few of us really feel comfortable or qualified to engage in the money conversation. They've created a community sharing so much educational content to help people become more financially savvy. And I really wanted to get these guys on because I've been following them since they launched last year amidst of all the COVID madness back in April. Um, and the pandemic has caused a huge disruption, creating the need for the majority of us to manage our personal finances better and to protect ourselves against the financial emergency caused by COVID. Um, and, on another, and on another side note, we've all had the downtime to finally sort out and go through all of our personal financial admin. So if, like me, you're also, you've also started investing over the past year, this could be an interesting lesson for you. Our finances also affect our mindset directly. There's also peace of mind in knowing that our finances are in good shape and the feeling of stress when they're not or when you're not sure. So if you're feeling like you're in this space, this episode is perfect for you. We'll talk about how you can become more financially savvy with your own money, saving, investing, why you should pay yourself first and much, much more. Just a small disclaimer before we get started, I want to make a small note that Millennial Money is based in the UK, so we'll be predominantly, we'll predominantly be talking about tax rates and legislation in the UK. So just as a side note, if you're listening and you're from another country with varying tax rates, please do your own research on your local rules and regulations. So let's get started. So we have Shaq and Niaz here. Welcome to the show. How are you guys doing over there? Good, thank you. Thank Good. you for having us. You're welcome. So you guys are over in East London, right? Yeah, we are. Sunny East London. Um, it looks like summer's come and gone this week and it's <laughs> miserable rain. <laughs> We're patiently waiting mid-June? for it to come back. Yeah, <laughs> mid-June, mid-June and it's pouring it down today. How are you? Okay. How's, how's Some Singapore? things never change. <laughs> <laughs> so in Singapore, we don't actually have seasons here. So it's pretty much um, humid all year round, which is great. You're not going to lie. I don't miss the British winters, <laughs> but um, we do it have... Rain, like, it, rains, it rains every day, doesn't it, in, in Singapore? Not so much every day, but there is like rainy season, which is usually around December through to February time where it's raining quite heavily. But like when it's raining, you can still walk around in flip-flops because it's super warm. So slightly different rain to the UK. <laughs> yeah, I'm just clutching at straws. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, tell, tell us both about your backgrounds. You know, one would assume that you both started out in finance, you know, starting millennial money. So I'd love to hear about the field that you both started in uh, with your careers. Uh, yeah, I can go first. So um, I actually have a legal background. I did law at university um, and followed through that route. And then um, I joined uh, Linklaters, which is uh, a law firm in, in London City. Um, and I work in the innovation consulting team. So very different to what you'd expect for um, uh, not a finance related background. I actually work with lawyers uh, in a more consultative role to improve the way we're delivering on um, our deals and matters. Um, Shaq has a has a slightly different career 
Yeah, so so Shaq here. Um, so I actually did biology at university, so completely different from <laughs> yeah. <China. laughs> decided very early on that I didn't want to pursue a career in that. So when I left uni, I uh, got a job in consulting. Uh, within consulting, I was working in primarily in financial services projects. Um, and then after about four years at my first company, I left to work for Visa um, as a payments consultant. So a bit more um, financial, um, I guess, focused, but slightly different in, in sort of what we talk about at Millennial Money. Mm. And so how how did you make that link to, you know, your careers, I guess, um, and then to personal finance? Was it just like a personal pain point which you felt like you wanted to share with everyone else? Yeah, so we, me and Nias tell this story all the time, um, but Millennial Money was really birthed just out of a couple of conversations that we'd had with each other, just about how bad we were with our finances so growing up we were also we were always told this blueprint of like do well at school and then go to university and get a good job and you'll be set for life and we felt like we'd followed that blueprint but that wasn't really happening like we didn't like we weren't saving money we were just getting ourselves into more and more credit card debt and we just really had no idea what we were doing like we weren't investing at all um and then sort of in the year before starting Millennial Money, we both improved our situation just through like self-learning and, you know, sort of making mistakes and learning from those. And we thought, why don't we sort of create this um, resource where we can te help teach other people what we've learned? Yeah, that's really interesting. So I guess like it was just, yeah, it was born out of a personal frustration and then just through trial and error and just kind of, yeah, sharing your learnings along the go. Um, and if we start off by talking about the basics of, you know, what someone can do uh, for money, you know, one, in one of your Instagram posts, I really like the way that you broke it down into six steps. You had number one, which is building a monthly budget. Secondly, to spend less than you earn. Thirdly, to pay yourself first. And the fourth one being build an emergency fund. Fifth one being contribute to your pension, uh, which should be roughly half your age. Um, and then the final one is invest in your long-term savings. So can you guys just kind of share a bit more about those six steps and yeah, for people who are interested in taking more ownership of their finances? Yeah, of course. Um, I think when it uh, comes to money, we aren't reinventing the wheel. It's just that we've, I think young people generally have felt quite disenfranchised when it comes to the money conversation, which you alluded to earlier. Um, but really, there are some really simple things that everyone should get started on doing. Um, and it tackles some of the financial habits that most of us have um, naturally uh, because we haven't been taught to manage money. But if you're starting out, I think um, make some incremental um, changes and steps. And, and it broadly falls down into these categories. Um, I think the first thing that's really important for anyone to do, and both Shaq and I did, um, is that we kind of like, we're earning um, a decent income. So we, I shotted our budget. So we were like, yeah, like I know I need to pay this much in rent and my bills probably amount to X amount, um, which means I just need to leave this much in my account the rest of the month. When you do that, you're giving yourself way too much discretion and you're almost always not following <laughs> that um, uh, amount that you've given yourself. When you actually build a budget, you're taking that discretion away from yourself and having to or forcing yourself to stare at exactly how much you've got coming in and exactly how much you've got going out, which is always more than you think it is. Um, and that kind of takes us to the to the next um, um, step in the process, which is to spend less than you earn, which sounds so blindingly obvious. But 
um, certainly in the UK, and I think this, uh, I know in the US as well, um, and particularly in this like consumerist um, environment that we operate in, majority of people, majority of middle income earners, which covers most people, um, they spend more than they earn. And that's because they're able to um, finance a lifestyle using their credit cards. So uh, you earn a certain amount of money, but you know you have, I don't know, a limit of 15,000, um, let's say, for example, in your Amex or, or another credit card. So when you don't have the money in cash, you can just effectively finance um, whatever it is that you're hoping to buy. And when you do that every month, you're spending way more than you earn, but you're not accounting for the debt. Um, so I think that's why it's important that once you build a budget, you can really look at how you can spend less than you earn, um, which is an important step to take. And I think those, once you get those two in place, those are like quite foundational um, and a lot of it will begin to fall into place. Um, pay yourself first. And, and again, I'm, I'm, we've got a lot of detailed um, uh, content on this as well, but it's like a, um, a saving and investing mentality, which says that when you look at your budget, you account for yourself first before you spend money on other things because um, you're making yourself uh, the uh, most important um, person or um, expense on your within your budget and you're accounting for your own expenses first. Um, after that, I'd say uh, building an emergency fund. Again, it's um, another foundation when it comes to um, anyone's personal finances. It's your personal insurance policy against mm. unknown expenses and that inevitably happen. Um, and it's really important to build up an emergency fund. And it gives you a lot more confidence as well when you come to investing because it's not as like psychologically, it's not as all or nothing for you when you're investing. And we've, I've done that. Like I've actually invested when I didn't have a sizable emergency fund. So then whenever there's any dips in the market you're, or whether, whenever there's any like negative like movements in the market, yeah. it affects you a lot more because you're like, oh, no, no, this is all the money I have. I can't I can't see it. Yeah, going down. you don't have that margin. To <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's actually important to build a like a significant uh, emergency fund that you feel comfortable with based on your own risk appetite, because that will ultimately make you a much more confident investor. Um, and then after that, we've, as, you, as you've mentioned, things like um, contributing to your pension, which we go into a lot. Um, and we have um, uh, like opposing story, personal stories about our pensions as well, <laughs> the advice we were given. Um, but that's Should certainly it be something half that, your age? Is that, or is um, that a total? So that's, 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 that's like a, um, a rule of thumb. And it's, it's quite mm -hmm. a good one to follow that if you, it's your total contributions. So, um, mm -hmm. which means let's say if you're 26 years old, um, mm -hmm. your total pension contributions should be 13%, but that includes your employer's contribution. So you might only be contributing, if you're lucky, like 6%, and then your employer mm -hmm. adds in um, or doubles your contribution. If you're lucky, I know in some places it's even better than yeah. that. Um, and then once you've done all of those things, sorry, Shell, go ahead. I just wanted to say, when it comes to the, the pension uh, percentage, so that um, rule of thumb of investing half, um, what your age is so like Nia said if you're 26 then you should invest 13 so that's just the age mm -hmm. at which you start so the sooner you start the lower the percentage then you don't need to increase that by a percent every year so say you started when you're 20 you have the total contribution of 10 percent. then um, the idea is then you can just sort of have that at 10 percent, provided that your income doesn't um, decrease Interesting. Yeah. So it doesn't increase with age then the percentage. Yes. Yeah, so otherwise you're going to have, you're going to need to be, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you can afford to do that, that's great. You're, you're yeah, buying. totally. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about having to. Increase 
but the, but the but the general advice is when you do get um, significant pay rises or anything that you should have it as a forethought that you are increasing your contributions as well because ultimately mm. that is your money and that's what we forget because we create so much distance between ourselves and our pensions we forget that that's our money that's our savings that's eventually mm -hmm. going to come come back to us and that's why in some countries I know in America uh, in certain states they're having a pensions crisis because people are like well I'm gonna have to work the rest of my life because yeah, there, there was no impetus to save and, and yeah. I think actually a bit of an impending pension crisis in the UK as well because so many people in the UK are set to retire with with hardly anything um you know so people could have perhaps a hundred thousand in their pension pot but when it comes to actually retiring you know that's the money that you're going to live on for the rest of your life um mm. the state pension in the UK is just under ten thousand pounds a year and it's really that's, not enough for you to live on especially yeah, it's insane um, <laughs> especially expenses on top of that I guess like you know um, Niaz, you mentioned mentioned something about um, you mentioned employers' uh, pension contributions, and I yeah. know within a lot of finance financial firms, you, their employer contribution usually is usually much much higher than say the creative industries. So, yeah, you know, I would highly advise people to look into the small print on their pension details and what their employer employers' contributions are, because most people just see it as like, oh, it's the same across. You know, when they accept a job, it's actually yeah. quite an yeah, important yeah. thing, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and there's there's cultural nuances when it comes to that, because I know in Australia, for example, they I think they call their pension their superannuation. Yeah. Um, and they actually, when they make job offers, they actually include their super um, into their, uh, they actually include their super into their um, uh, job offers um, and count it as part of the salary, because ultimately mm. it's, it's your money um, that's being saved for yeah, you as course. well um and and they make that distinction but in other places there's so much distance culturally created from the pension that people forget it's their money yeah and also for expats as well like myself is essentially when i moved over to singapore from the uk i was no longer contributing to a pension as in when i was working with a company i'm obviously not now because i'm working for myself but at the time my pension just stopped so it's definitely something to think about for you know any expats listening to this right now um so, and then I guess the last point uh, I mentioned was investing in long-term savings. I guess this kind of links into building an emergency fund, right? Or would you say there's a much clearer distinct difference between the two? So the long-term savings, so this is where we'd actually talk about investing into um, the stock market or, or, other, or purchasing other assets um, for, your, for, for the longer term. And what we mean by long-term is usually what you, when you're investing your money, you want to invest for at least three ideally five or more years which gives it enough time to grow effectively and if there is any corrections in the market it gives enough time for those corrections to be weathered um, um, so we always advise when it comes to your long-term savings that's money that you can put away um, and have working for you um, uh, and, and shorter term um, I think when you're looking at uh, much shorter term expenses you can hold that as cash but because of inflation if you're holding money for if, you, if you've got a pool of money that you're holding for about five years or more it, it's probably worth you investing that money because it will lose value because of inflation otherwise 
Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I just wanted to make the point of cash isn't always king. Well, for individuals anyway, not Mm -hmm. not speaking for companies, but, you know, the more we make, like you said, the more we spend. And there's been a ton of research showing how, you know, the more your income increases, yeah, the more you spend. And so actually, um, you have to be very intentional and conscious about how much you're saving. Um, And I read a stat recently that said 46% of uh, Brits have either no or less than £1,500 in savings, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, crazy. And you were just talking about, you know, obviously, if your money is just, you know, sit- sitting as cash, or even if it's in, in, you know, ISAs, which are such low interest rates right now, essentially diminishing um, due to uh, inflation. So I guess, you know, talking about the benefits of saving, um, I guess we'll probably we'd agree in saying that investing is probably a lot more powerful than actually saving and putting it in ice in an ISA these days as it was, you know, say maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our our parents um, were able to benefit from some ridiculous interest rates where it meant that um, saving your cash was actually quite a good idea. But obviously, now that we've seen rock bottom interest rates, you know, I think you're lucky to get sort of 0.5% on your savings now, which, as we know, is is practically nothing. So like you mentioned, if you're you're saving your money there, you're just going to lose out in value to inflation. And when we talk about investing, what would you say, can you just talk a bit more about the power of compound interest? You know, it's obviously a very powerful tool for wealth and there's many um, numerical examples. You can just find that online, but, you know, why is investing so powerful for, for someone who is very new to this space and doesn't understand, yeah, I guess the, the science around it in a way, because kind of is. So, um, so, compounding, so compounding returns is... Um, an interesting and very powerful tool and it and when it comes to investing i think we always say time is the best friend when it comes uh for when it comes to your money and when it comes to investing firstly uh, on one side because if there are any corrections like a major global pandemic um, it means that there's enough time for the markets um and businesses to recover which we've seen already within within less than a year most of the markets have recovered and gone much higher than what they were before um But the other thing is, the earlier you start investing, what you are able to do because of the power of compounding is um, earn. So this this doesn't just apply to interest, but basically you earn um, uh, a profit and gain on the initial um, amount that you've made already. If we're talking about interest, let's say you've got a figure of money and you gain some interest on that. The next month, you're going to gain interest on top of the interest and it continues to grow exponentially. Now, if you, um, I, I guess, put that across like a, a, a large amount of time and, and a longer time period, that exponential growth can be very significant. And um, we've seen examples in the past, and I know one of the first ones that we saw, which really like um, took us back. Um, and there's a video that I advise everyone to watch. I think it's on Hargreave Landown YouTube. It's, a, it's an animated video that we often like show to people to, to, to exemplify like just how powerful compounding is. It, it means that someone who has saved less money but started saving sooner. Um, so let's say someone starts saving £100 a month um, and they save for 10 years and then they stop um, and they ask their friend to start saving um, uh, at the same time as them but their friends like no like I want to buy a big house um, I want to go on nice holidays I'll start saving later on in life um, so you've saved for 10 years and they haven't just saved for that 10 years 
um, saved and invested. Um, but then they decide to start saving and actually they, they think, okay, I'm much wealthier now. I'm going to save for much longer. Um, so they save for 25 years and they put away way more money than you. But you've been earning compounding returns every year um, and you had like a 10, 15 year head start on them. So even though you end up putting away your initial investment um, is a smaller sum than your friend who saved for much longer, because of the power of compounding returns, because you're earning money on top of your initial profits and it's just growing and growing and growing, uh, your amount after like 30 years compared to theirs is way higher. So you get way more money having saved less because of the amount of time that you've invested your money. Super Does that make sense? I, I know it's hard to illustrate without some visuals. Without some numbers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was that uh, Google video you said? Do you recommended people to uh, watch? So there's 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 one on YouTube. I can Sorry, send YouTube, it to you yeah. afterwards as well. Um, sure, I'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and it's one that Hargreaves Lansdowne, which is an investment platform uh, in the UK, um, they used to illustrate just how powerful compounding is, and it's it, it's in really simple terms. But effectively, you can save. Uh, less um but start saving sooner and you could end up um with much better returns i recently yes, I, read the so you go ahead Chad. i was gonna say the main takeaway from it really is you know, the best time to start investing was yesterday but the, the second... <laughs> <laughs> it's like my yoga teacher he always says the best time to drink water was yesterday <laughs> um no it's interesting because i recently read the book uh the automatic millionaire it sounds a bit kind of clickbaity the title but it has a really cool concept called the latte factor. And it talks about how much money, you know, you would save by not drinking that coffee every day, but it's not just about the money you save, but the money that's invested. And it gives an amazing numerical example about how much you do save. And you, you look at it and you just think, how, how does that even add up, you know, uh, mathematically, but it does. And so I think that is the power of compound interest for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We do. So, so culturally, I think so with millennial money, which is slightly different, which is why I think we've got so much traction with our peer group is that we're a community led brand. Right. So we're serving like our demographic, like the mm. three of us here and like all of our friends. So there's so we actually have certain gripes with examples like the latte and the avocado, which has actually been used to smear millennials. To say that these, <laughs> like, these, these like um, frivolous millennials that spend all their money on coffee and avocados, yeah. if they hadn't done that, they'd be able to buy houses, which is a load of rubbish because yeah. um, the price of property in U in the UK, in Singapore as well, like across, like around yeah, the world, uh, real estate is ridiculous. And 20 years ago, you didn't have um, something which was so obscene. And uh, people on far lower incomes than, than we're on now um we and like less skilled um employees were able mm -hmm. to buy property that we couldn't dream of buying now um and it's much harder for us to buy now and that invariably ended up becoming their um, long-term pension savings because they could just yeah, rely totally. on the appreciation of that of that and I'm talking about my, like my own parents as well like that's that's the opportunities mm -hmm. that they had and the problem is that these are the people that we are expected to learn about money from, but mm -hmm. we operate in a completely yeah. different environment to so our parents. So, so, so the advice that we actually get from our parents, which is again, quite a controversial um, thing to say is probably quite outdated. Um, and it doesn't necessarily apply to the climate we're in now because we have very different opportunities and it's much more important for us to learn about 
investing and understand money because we're navigating um, a completely different climate. We've also experienced not one, but two once in a lifetime um, economic recessions, um, which has completely changed the opportunities that we have as well. And there's things like um, financial scarring, which um, has impacted um, millennials and uh, mm. younger generations, and the effects of which we can't always see clearly, but ha- last for quite a long time. Yeah, uh, you mentioned so many good points. I'm trying to just like click on a few things but the thing you mentioned was around how our parents essentially our parents generation um a lot of it was a lot easier than for for them to buy property and that essentially became their asset you know real estate and um I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book Rich Dad Poor Dad but he has a really cool example of you know he looks at the income statement and the balance sheet but he looks at it in a very different way to what you know the normal um, person would look at it and you know obviously real estate and stocks and bonds and IP is very much an important asset Uh, whereas I guess the best way to explain it without a visual picture is that most people see their income as having you know their salary essentially and then expenses would just be taxes um, you know loans student loans uh, mortgage payments and then you know liabilities as well would be your mortgage and loans and yeah. you know debt essentially but the way he sees an income statement of like a a wealthy person or like a financially illiterate person is that in your uh, on your balance sheet under your asset column you would have more real estate you have stocks and bonds and um, ips and this would essentially generate additional income on top of your salary in the form of rental income um, dividends, yeah. and dividends and royalties um, and so this would reduce your expenses to be just tax and mortgage payments um, but what I would say is I feel like that book is slightly outdated too, because like you said, it's actually quite hard to buy a property now, but yeah, it's, yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. So Rich, it's Richard Kiyosaki, right? And um, yes. if you, if you um, uh, follow like his positions now, he's starting to update his method. It's still, I think broadly applied. It's a great, mm-hmm. it's a great um, introduction into the world of personal finance. And the, and the idea is right in that, of course, if you have, um, assets that generate income that's 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 where you want to be right because then um, it, it naturally obviously offsets against the liabilities that you have but I think even Richard Kiyosake is now and I don't want to like talking too much depth of, of his like um, monetary advice or policies or um, mm. but I know he, he's he's modernized his um, portfolio a little bit and mm. someone like Richard Kiyosake is now talking about things like cryptocurrencies yeah exactly so, so, it, so it just it just shows you how much things have changed um, over the years and I think specifically in the last two or three years how much things have changed in like new assets being born and that I think that points to the fact that uh, knowledge is actually power when it comes to money mm-hmm. and under- understanding money is the most important thing because it's a co- it's a constantly changing environment um, and if you understand money you're probably putting yourself in a better position um, to create like a portfolio that matches your goals and ambitions um, and, and maintain it sustainably because um, as I said like there's it's just a, a whole different playing field now mm. um, and although broader concepts would apply, I think the best thing that anyone could do, um, or the first, as cliche as it sounds, the first and best investment anyone could make is to like, invest in themselves by learning about money, by engaging with totally. like, resources like ourselves. And there's so many others out there um, now. I think it's, it's um, so much easier to learn about money now. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, on top of cryptocurrency, which I want to kind of dive into a bit <laughs> later on, is like, you know, nowadays with living in a digital world, we have, um, you know, not only we can invest in startups and, and through, you know, and dividends and also even I think like developing a personal brand, as per se, like say you have a specific, you know, eventually that brand will could generate um, passive income in some way or form. And so, you know, trying to really maximize that income outside of your standard salary, you know, nothing wrong with being employed, but, you know, not relying on that one source of income, I would say. Um, yeah. So you also mentioned just going back to investment, um, back to the topic of investment. Can you kind of, can you guys kind of just demystify and explain the difference between, you know, ETFs and um, actual shares itself and what say like a beginner or more advanced investor should be looking at in terms of um, investing and also if there's any specific apps that you recommend for you know easy investing yeah I think one of the reasons that people are so put off by investing and find it so daunting is just because there are all of these different terms um, and different assets that you can invest in so you have your your stocks and shares so they're really synonyms of each other um but a stock is essentially if you're buying a piece of an individual company um so i think that can generally be quite risky um just because i think professional investors would go and do a lot of research into these companies into their finances and so on whereas sort of as a retail investor it can be very speculative um, then you've got ETFs, which, you're, which are your exchange traded funds. And these are essentially, um, I think the best way of describing them is like baskets of, of different stocks. Um, so they can be made up of, of various companies. Um, so they'd be gen generally less risky as your, your risk would be spread amongst a variety of companies. Um, then you have index funds as well. So these will, will track, um, these will track markets or sorry, these will track um stock exchanges uh, or markets um so looking at um like nasdaq or FTSE 100 and so on um, again they're, they're usually less risky because they're tracking um like a broad range of companies and usually well-performing companies as well so people will sometimes say well what if they crash well it'd be very unlikely for these companies that are, that are in indexes to crash because that would mean sort of the whole world is crashing and all of these huge companies are crashing. Um, so I think for beginners, the best thing to do is to either invest in index funds or to um, use companies that will actively manage your investments for you. So one that um, Niaz and I both use in the UK is Nutmeg and what they do when you yeah, sign yeah. up is you can sort of take a questionnaire which assesses your, your risk appetite um, and then from there, they they will take your money and invest along the, the lines of how risky you want that. So um, when I signed up, they gauged that my risk appetite was about seven out seven out of 10. So the, the investments that they make for me um, broadly follow that, that kind of risk appetite. So fairly heavily um, invested in equities, which is like the stocks and shares that we mentioned earlier, um, as well as investing in some funds and, and some bonds, which are less risky. Um, then you have other apps in the UK like, free trade and trading 212 and they allow you to not only invest in the funds but invest in companies um shares directly as well so yeah i use those too i think yeah, i prefer so, trading 212 because the yeah the share options are a lot broader you have a lot more us companies on there yes yeah, so I, I think i personally prefer 
the UX of free trade, but you're right. Yes, about trade. I agree. I agree. <laughs> That's a lot more options. And, and they're both really interesting companies because, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been very difficult for, for me or you to invest directly into these companies. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't accessible at all. You'd have had to have a stockbroker. The fees in purchasing shares would have been very high. But now t- Trading212 and Free Trade have come in. They've created these really cool, easy-to-use apps, which mean that you can invest in these companies directly without having to pay any fees. Mm. And over in Singapore, we have something called StashAway, not as extensive as 212 or, tra- or um, Free Trade, because I think they, again, you just select your risk appetite. And so the returns are obviously a lot lower, but it's quite good for very new beginner, beginners in investment um, for those listening in Singapore. Um, so I guess like on the topic of cryptocurrency, I would love to get your thoughts across this topic. Is this something you guys are really, you know, up to date with? Are you investing? Um, so first of all, I think the, the biggest disclaimer when it comes to cryptos is it's it's all the bag at the moment. It's it makes all the headlines. Um, <laughs> is it's always important to um, understand that cryptocurrencies it is a minefield at the moment, and because of like I think there's a perfect storm at the moment because of social media. And it's quite easy to drum up some mania and hysteria. Um, but um, cryptocurrencies are, or specific cryptocurrencies are, um, real investable assets. But there is um, loads of like cryptocurrencies out there that are just speculative um, coins that are being created. Um, but there are, but but that shouldn't take away from specific crypto assets, which are like going to. Like possibly and already are changing the world um, to the point where this year we've seen large institutional players putting billions of dollars into um, certain crypto assets, which is in itself validating um, those cryptocurrencies as well. So what that means is when I, when I say large institutional players, I mean the big boys like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, or like... Um, famous investors like Ray Dalio, which um, um, people like really listen to what they what they say and do. And these are people who have historically really like um, talked down cryptos uh, who are now mm-hmm. coming out to say we're holding certain cryptocurrencies within our portfolios as well. Um, now, I know people like to be specific or they want to hear specific things when it comes to cryptos. So Shaq and I like, so uh, uh, we actually do invest in cryptos ourselves. Um, so we hold um, mainly Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, and that's because we see real value in those cryptos. That being said, um, and our advice to all of our friends, to anyone that's listening, and obviously we don't give out financial advice, is that make it a portion of your investments into your portfolio. Don't make it the whole thing. So um again it comes back to like your own risk appetite the upside potential of cryptocurrencies is very high as we've seen people becoming millionaires like in in a few days um just this year but also people losing all of their money because Mm -hmm. it's a very volatile market Mm -hmm. um and it will continue to be because it's it's a new it's a it's a fairly new asset even if it's even bitcoin if it's um i think it it was 2008 bitcoin um was um like born so that's mm-hmm. what 13 years ago um that's still a very new asset when you compare totally, to like yeah. yeah when you compare it to like gold or um, um other assets which means it's going to be very volatile um but that doesn't take away from the upside potential that it has but it is a very risky investment mm-hmm. um which is why we always advise put 
like a small portion that you're comfortable with of your, let's say, monthly contributions into cryptocurrencies, alongside other contributions that you're making um, into more sensible funds. Um, um, you might be, I don't know, putting some away into your emergency fund as well, um, some into your pensions, however you like to split your monthly contributions, so that you've got a nicely weighted and balanced portfolio overall, with some exposure to cryptos. So me personally, I think my risk appetite uh, slightly increased um, in the last few months. So I did increase <laughs> my exposure to cryptocurrencies at the worst time. But, I, but I'm still I'm, I'm comfortable with that, though, because I, I've become more and more confident when it comes mm-hmm. to believing in certain cryptos. But again, I'm going to underscore all of that with don't follow the mania and hysteria online. Understand mm-hmm. why you're buying into certain cryptocurrencies if you choose to buy into those um and then because that means you'll be comfortable with uh the downturns and and volatility in the market which is to be expected with cryptocurrencies yeah and are there any specific platforms that you guys are both using for cryptocurrency yes i i'm using coinbase um so people may have heard of that as they had their ipo a few months back um, but I think Coinbase is a very easy to use platform. I, I'm not really too sure in terms of how the fees stack up against um, some of the other options, but um, I found it to, to not be um, too bad. Hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I use Coinbase as well. So, so there, there is like a, um, a good way that you can navigate around fees as well um, and minimize those. Um, so using Coinbase and Coinbase Pro um, together um, is helpful. I've used Binance as well, but I I think, again, I'm not looking to trade cryptos, mm-hmm. so I don't, it doesn't bother me as much, but there are loads of platforms now as well, but I think the, the most trusted and probably the most widely used one, Shaq said, is Coinbase. Now. Coinbase, yeah. Reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you've seen the Netflix show Startup. Have you yeah. guys seen that? <laughs> I have seen some, I have seen some episodes of it. <laughs> yeah, know, they've right? got the new startup called GenCoin, it's all about cryptocurrency as well, which is quite funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, so nice. We have a couple of, you know, as before we announced that we would be having you on the show and we had a couple of questions come in from our community for, on another startup story. So I'm just going to ask these. Um, the first one being, how much of your net pay should be spent on rent? I think this is going to differ depending on what country you live in, um, mm-hmm. how much you earn, uh, what city you live in as well. So, you know, if you... We, we so we live in London you've lived in London you now live in Singapore um rent in both of those cities is gonna, well both those places is gonna uh, be great yeah <laughs> um, so it's gonna be highly likely that your the percentage of your income um is gonna be higher spent on rent so uh, I think shelter which are a charity in the UK they they say that affordable housing shouldn't be any more than 35 percent of your post-tax income so i think that if you were to apply that to um london then you'd probably say that you know there's not really much affordable housing around um but i think as a general rule of thumb if you could get away with spending 35 to to 40 percent then you're probably doing okay and then anything less than that then you can probably um end up with a little bit extra left over to to invest or Mm. save i think that's a very difficult question yeah, but you guys did a really interesting infographic, like a graph chart uh, around London about how like the percentage of net pay spent on rent 
I think yeah. like, where was it in West London? Where the, the, uh, yeah, the it was percentage ridiculous. was like 70%. I was like, it was, I think it was living? West, I think it was, I think it was in <laughs> Westminster. <laughs> where, That's insane. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah. Some of the, some of the parts, I, you just pay for the postcode, right? Like, yeah, totally. um, and some, some parts of London are insane, like the amount of money people will spend. But that's, that's the thing with the London real estate market. Like it's become world renowned and like there's so much international investment. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got like roads, which are like billionaires row and, and like mm-hmm. people owning homes. So it, it is such um, a crazy place when you just look at London as a city on its own like the disparity between like house prices even just within London yeah big. exactly yeah I guess that kind of brings me on to the next question that we had which was what kind of practical advice can you give for people looking to buy their first home or maybe invest in real estate you know may not be your area um, but feel free to you know comment on, on this on this topic one, one thing I would say about investing in real estate is that I think it may be seen by people as like a very easy way to sort of invest. And I think that while it's very um, sufficient, successful way of investing for a lot of people, there's probably a little bit more to it than people imagine. Um, So it's not just a case of finding a house, buying it, finding someone to live in it. There's sort of a lot of additional steps and a lot of additional um, expenses that come with that. So if you are seriously considering investing into a property to rent it out, then I would really just say, make sure that you do the research um yeah because there, there's a lot sort of behind that yeah um i guess additionally what i'd add to um if you wanted to sort of like if you're preparing to purchase a property um is be prepared for some of the extra expenses that comes with purchasing a property I've spoken to so many friends and I know this is another big thing that happens is that people just look at the deposit amount um, when it comes to buying a property and they think oh my god I just need to save 20 grand and then that's it I'll be able to buy a house um, but that doesn't take note of uh, all of the other expenses that might come with uh, purchasing a property like the legal fees um, obviously stamp duties back now in the UK um, but there are also loads of other costs associated with purchasing a property um, and I think people mistake it for um, I'm just going to save enough the bare minimum to get a deposit and then I'm going to run out of money afterwards so I think uh, always try to prepare yourself to to save more and have other money outside the money that you're going to be putting into buying a house. Mm. And I guess like my last question is you know in terms of a financial advisor or a financial coach what firstly what is the main difference and would would you advise people to actually look for and when should one look for one I guess either so a financial advisor is is someone that will help you plan uh, your financial future um, and they'll cover topics such as investing and saving uh, retirement and they are qualified so they have a qualification which then allows them to actually recommend certain products to you and give recommendations on on what you should use depending on your circumstances and they should also help you to understand the actual uh, mechanics behind these products and these topics as well so actually having you educate you Um, whereas a coach is is a bit more like a a personal trainer Um, so they can't actually do the work for you but they can help you make better um, informed decisions and and make you feel more confident about your money Um, so while advisors can provide advice, 
coaches provide guidance um so mm -hmm. coaches can give you specific product recommendations but they could sort of explain options in in a more clear way um so generally advisors would usually be more expensive um and i think that in general advisors would be for for people that have um high levels of wealth so either big yeah. large amounts need to invest and save or run the, the much higher um, salaries yeah interesting I guess like you know platforms like millennial money is definitely a good free option for people to understand more and do their own learning so definitely check them out um, okay moving to more kind of I guess personal um, questions now what is one thing that you guys wish individually you started doing earlier so I, I definitely wish that I'd started investing earlier. And um, when I first started working, I was very much of the mindset that why do I need to save or invest now? Like, why should I give up um, two, three hundred pound a month now when when I'm older, I'll be rich? That was essentially what my, my mindset was. I thought, when I'm older, I'll have a higher salary so then I can save and invest. Whereas now that I'm more aware of, of how it all works, I know that if I'd started investing earlier on, then through the power of compounding that we'd spoken about earlier, that I would have um, a fair amount of money saved up. And yeah, it's just about getting started on that journey earlier and realizing sort of what I could have had. How old were you, if you don't mind me asking, when you started investing? So I, I mean, I, I guess I was technically investing a little bit because I um, took part in my company's um share program which meant that i could buy shares at a discounted price so i was doing that mm. um, but there was a period where i could have been investing more in that and then i started investing um probably in about 2017 using Moneybox, which is an app that takes your like rounds up your spend um so it takes small amounts so you know sort of 40 50 pound a month um, oh yeah i've heard of those yeah like when you spend and you say you bought something for 199 or invest the one cent the 1p yeah. yeah interesting yeah, so that was back in in sort of 2017 2018 but oh yeah I wish if I'd known more then I could have started investing sort of when I first started mm. working yeah as yourself um, one thing mine, you wish you started yeah no my, mine's the same I think it would be um I wish I'd started investing yeah. earlier but I think like a couple of that is probably like, I wish I, there was a way that I could have started learning about money a bit sooner as well, because funnily enough, I actually did start investing because one of my mates told me to just open a nutmeg account because he was going to get a referral for it. I had no idea that, that I was actually investing in then. Um, and like by doing that, um, I was just putting some money away and didn't really take it seriously. Um, and that's purely because I just didn't understand what that process was and what I was doing. I just thought I was putting money away into this savings account. Um, and again, it's just pure ignorance. So I wish I'd started learning about money a bit sooner. Um, and in, in so doing, wish I'd properly started investing as soon as I started working, um, because there was small amounts of disposable income that I have no idea where it went now. And it could have, it could have um, been something that I'd be seeing today. Yeah, totally. I, I definitely agree. I mean, I've only just started over the past, well, couple of years or so. So I definitely wish I started earlier, but you know, better now than never. <laughs> exactly. So the next yeah. question is, sorry, did you want to say something, Shaq? I was just going to say there's, with things like that, there's no point beating yourself up over it and, and wishing what could have been. Just you know, be glad that you, you got there in the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
What is, is there one value which you've lived by throughout the years that has helped you kind of develop your, your mindset, well-being or lifestyle? It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, personal finance focused. Yeah. Um, there's something that I, I think has always anchored everything that I do. It's um, actually like, so, so for myself, have like paying attention to like my fitness and nutrition um, has always anchored like the rest of my day. Um, so whenever like I've had experiences of like things being very disorganized in my life, um, it, it's something that I've always turned back to, to anchor um, my day and it allows me to become more and more productive. I know loads of our friends ask um, Shaq and I how we're juggling so much because mm. we're effectively doing two full-time jobs and then uh, uh, and, and then fitting in as much as we can around it. But we do, we do love it. But um, I think when you're doing something for yourself, um, first it allows you to anchor your day and there's a psychological benefit to it as well so in the past like I used to like it, it doesn't have to be like working out it doesn't have to be fitness related but if you wake up and do something for yourself before you log in straight away and try to work for someone else there's mm. a lot more um, value like derived in that okay the first thing I'm doing is for myself this is my day and then I'm able to give my energy elsewhere mm. um, I've always found that whenever I structure my day um, with that mentality it really helps me um to get through it and feeling like I'm taking ownership of my time back yeah totally I am such a big believer in morning routine and it doesn't have to be morning it could be evening routine but mm. whenever it is in the day just carving out the time to have that even if it's just doing nothing just say literally you know it doesn't have to be forced meditation it could just be like mm -hmm. journaling or just having that space and thinking time to think creatively and outside of your day-to-day -day job which probably has been you know you guys say maybe for you Nia's working out in the mornings has given you that creative time to think about millennial money and how you want to impact more lives and how what kind of content you want to create like you're not thinking about that consciously when you're in your day-to-day -day job right so yeah. I think carving out that time in the day is super important, um, which brings me on to the next question, which I always pass, ask people on the show is, what is what does your morning routine look like for both of you? Shaq, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So I guess it's changed a bit over the last... <laughs> over <few> COVID. <laughs> very as well. Um, but recently I've been getting up, um, well, a lot earlier than, than I was before. Um, which probably isn't that early for some people, but like half six, seven. Um, and then I usually go to the gym in the morning, come back, have some breakfast and and then log on to my day job. Um, so wouldn't usually be working on millennial money first thing in the morning unless there was something pressing. Um, but yeah, that's my routine. Nothing, nothing particularly exciting. Yeah, I, I can give like an idealized version of my routine, but as I said, it it changes. Honestly, I see I see all of these YouTubers like posting their morning routines, and I'm like, there's no way you do that every single day. No, totally. But, like, but when you have a perfect week or a good week, like, um, so I did have a habit like a few months ago where um, I woke, and this is when in the UK we have such crazy sunrise times, like it changes from like at one point it's like six thirty seven, which is um, um, actually quite a good time so then it can go up to like 4 a.m sunrises but when it was around 6 30 a.m I was waking up um, and it's actually because of a book uh, that I read um, fairly recently um, and it gave a case study of a, um, a Japanese cancer survivor and he said that he woke up uh, every day just before the sunrise 
at mm. the sun would rise because the oxygen is the best at that time and he'd wake yeah. up and he'd watch the sun rise and then go for a walk um mm. every day to start his day so I, I had a routine of um waking up just before sunrise which was about 6 20 um and um would like open my curtains and sort of like watch the sunrise and then again this is a very idealized uh, morning routine and then I'd go and um walk to uh I'd try and get my steps in in the morning I walk because I'm addicted to coffee so I'd walk to the high street (laughs) (laughs) so I'd walk to the high street to get my barista coffee uh, and then walk back um and then I'd, I'd get about 10,000 steps by then. Um, usually I sometimes take that as an opportunity to do a little bit of like story filming if we needed it for millennial money. Um, and then by the time I got back, um, I then got about uh, an hour before I start work. But I really feel like I've sort of owned my morning a little bit so I can get myself ready and together before I log in for the day. Mm. Yeah, I read somewhere else recently that uh, I think I can't remember exactly the hours. It's definitely around 6 a.m. through to 11 a.m. 11 a.m. is like the cutoff period mm. where it said the sunlight is, you know, the best quality sunlight. You should always try and get out and get some vitamin yeah. D in, in that uh, window time frame. Um, so, yeah, no, it's really good. OK, so yeah, my last sure. question is just before we wrap up is what is one book that you'd recommend to a friend and why? Um, so if it was, uh, I've got two, um, and they're, they're different. So when it comes to money, there's, there's so many books out there, but I think the most like impactful ones are the ones that just speak most simply, um, to you. So there's one that I really enjoyed, um, by Pete Matthew, um, called the meaningful money handbook. Um, that's certainly something I'd recommend to anyone wanting to learn about money. It's a very easy read um and you'll learn a lot from it um I still reference it sometimes um mm. I'm big on audiobooks at the moment um really? and one that I re- yeah I like yeah ma- audiobooks actually do you know so I, love I, I like the podcasts, ones but yeah I think yeah it I, I like the, the yeah the yeah I like the ones that are narrated by the actual authors <laughs> yes. so I'm, I'm a bit like that so there's one that I listened to recently and it's produced like a high quality podcast I'd recommend you both to listen to it actually and anyone listening um it's talking to strangers by Malcolm Gladwell um oh, not yes. money related not money related the originals author Michael yeah yeah he yes, is yeah right, right, but right. he but he narrates as well and it's like got right. really good like scoring like music as well like it's just a really well it like, helps. Like, yeah it's like okay, a really it it's out. like a really well produced um audio book I'd highly recommend it nice and yeah you know, I've never I've never really gotten into audio books I feel like it's cheating <laughs> and I don't despite the bullet and this is the um but for me I would say um natives by Carla so natives racing class um in really? the ruins of Iran it's a great mix of Akala talking about his upbringing, being a, a black um, male in the UK. And then he also discusses um, sort of race and politics and Interesting. Uh, the UK as well. So I definitely recommend that. Yeah, thank great, you. Great I think, um, yeah, I guess like I know what you mean by audiobooks feeling like you're cheating, but I guess it depends on what kind of learner you are. Like some people are mm. visual learners, some people are auditory. So I think, yeah, it depends on how you're wired in that sense um but yeah well I think we'll probably wrap it up now because I think we've gone over time but I just wanted to say thank you so so much for you know sharing your knowledge and both your stories um Shaq and Nia's and um I think that really pretty much concludes everything that we've talked about so 
for those listening at home, um, the power of taking charge of your well-being through our finances is definitely in our hands today. And um, it can make all the difference for the future. And so if you want to know more, um, all the details will be in the show notes and you can find the guys on Instagram at Millennial Money UK. Um, and if you're looking for more inspiration, um, there's more interviews and stories, just head over to anotherstartupstory.com or you can find us on Instagram at anotherstartupstory. Well, thanks so much, guys, for um, being on the show. We're excited to have you and to share this. Thanks, Carmen. For sure.